What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. We interrupt this musical intro to bring you a very important announcement. Okay, not really. Um, <laughs> I'm cutting in here real quick because I wanted to actually give an apology for the sound quality of the episode you're about to listen to. There are different segments in here that were recorded at different times, so you're going to hear a little bit of a tone change, mainly because when we were recording some aspects of this, my microphone was actually not on, or it was on, but it wasn't being registered with the live stream system that we use, and instead, the live stream system was picking up the mic from my laptop which I was not facing and not even realizing that's what was recording. So you are going to hear some background noise. I'm going to kind of sound a little bit tinny, like I'm in a tin can. You'll hear the sound of water peacefully trickling in the background. Apologies if it makes anybody have to go pee. Um, (laughs) All of this, unbeknownst to Ken and I, myself, everybody involved, until the very end when it came time to edit it, which at that point was too late. So... That's all. Apologies in advance. Carry on. This is The Hive Jive. Well, howdy there, Mr. Birthday Boy. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? That was yesterday, not today. (laughs) Well, technically, by the time everybody hears this, it'll be two days ago. So happy belated birthday. Yep, that's it. Yeah, yep. they, uh. they, uh, did you see, I tried to send you some screenshots. They got it posted out there on Instagram and Facebook and, uh, <laughs> the, the listeners have been going back and saying, uh, happy birthday and wishing you, you know, happy day and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a couple that came in this morning though, that was, uh, pretty funny. Um, the, the, the one of note that I don't think that I've gotten sent over to you in a picture though is from, mm-hmm. uh, hang on. I got too many things up on my screen. It is, I believe, Fiddle Creek Farm, and she's the one that at one point had made the typo, um, I think, either that or she's referencing it, but she's the one that, remember when we were talking about how you were a striper guide, but then she accidentally mm-hmm. wrote it as a stripper guide, and we had the whole conversation <laughs> about what is a stripper guide and how does that work? So uh, she says, happy birthday, Mr. Stripper Guide, <laughs> and then she does a little mm-hmm. laugh and cry face and a dancing emoji. Well, thank you, Mr. Stripper Guide, huh? Yeah, Mr. Stripper Guide. That uh, goes into being, you know, all young and healthy. So, no, oh. I talk uh, huh? Well, I was going to say, you, you messaged me and said that you were basically sweating like a pig. So does that make you healthy as a horse? Yeah, that's exactly what I was asking. <laughs> I've been outside in that suit taking care of my uh, swarms and uh, packages, been feeding them. And I want, is this where I ought to ask you about? I've got some well, storms. Hang, and I, uh, hang on just a second on your on your question. So let, let's get uh, a couple of things out okay. of the way here, because otherwise I'll forget and then I'll kick myself later. So um, okay. Patreon shout outs, thank yous and, and welcomes and all that to our latest and newest patron members. Um, I think I technically did this one last time, but just in case, Maybe. we're going to throw it back on there. So, you know, better to have two than none. So thank you to Susan D. And Susan, I, I 
I know that we were drastically delayed in getting you your your video and your welcome, but I I want to say that we actually said welcome aboard and thank you like a couple episodes back. So just in case, wanted to throw that out there. And then uh, the newest patron member is Nick. So thank you so much, Nick, for joining and and uh, being part of everything there and helping support the show. We do appreciate that. We appreciate it. And then this is going to be where it gets strange for just a brief moment. <laughs> For everybody listening in real time, uh, this is going to be like deja vu because you will have just heard this at the beginning of the episode. And or if you're just only a couple episodes behind, you may have heard this a couple of times leading up to this episode. But for those of you who are, you know, catching up from the historical archives of the show and and you're just coming across this one, this will be the first time that you hear this. But we're just going to throw this out there really quick. And uh, I'm not going to comment on it beyond the actual headline. So um, we've talked about in the past the importance of using your platform responsibly and being mindful of the example that you set for others. And you've heard me state repeatedly how a certain individual does not do this and Mm -hmm. has a blatant disregard for the safety of those that she influences. Mm -hmm. So here is yet another example. And this is straight from the headlines. TikTok queen bee and self-proclaimed peaceful beekeeper sets loose a torrent of her vengeful followers to attack a fellow female beekeeper for calling out the ice queen's lack of concern for public safety into question. For the brave soul who decided to stand up and speak her concerns, this resulted in so much hate directed towards her that she had to take down her social media accounts and ended up having to close her business. Peaceful beekeeper? I think not. Disregard for the safety of others? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's all I can say. Yeah. And then, you know, this probably should have uh, should have been at the beginning of it. But this is a we had a couple of listeners sending me like just funny memes and stuff over the weekend. And uh, I saw this on one of their pages. It's a quote from Gloria Steinman. The truth will set you free. But first, it will piss you off. <laughs> yep. That's it. Uh, so anyhow, okay. Your question, sir. Oh, uh, well, for for everybody else, the like today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about buying used equipment and some of the things that you should look for in that. And one of our listeners, Jacob, has went through and done that. So we will segue back over to that in a moment. But first, you had a question about your swarms? Yep, I got a couple of swarms. One of them just... Uh... I put, you know, I've been trying to boost them up a little bit, so I've been feeding them. Uh, and because they're small, they're not maybe three, two, three pounds, something like that. So I've been feeding them, and one just eats the hell out of it. I mean, I put one to one in there, and I mean, they're just, they're using a quart a week. So, but I'm only giving them about a quart. About, about, well, I've been giving them about two or three quarts of a month. So, but anyway, they're, knocking it out now the other i put a little honey i put one to one in there and they don't touch it so i'm sitting there wow i guess uh, they're a little wilder than the other bunch how long have they been in there like when did they move in <sighs> the one like that's days, eating it up weeks, months. they have been in there oh they've been in there about two or three weeks now the bunch that's not touching it they've been in there about a week and a half hmm well, that doesn't maybe really not, go maybe, with uh, yeah. that. Doesn't go with the theory that I was developing there. So, <laughs> but I know, 
The so what I was gonna say is when a swarm initially moves in, they're gonna be just gorged on honey and nectar, and then they're gonna oh, yeah. you know expend all those resources to start building the comb. But the other thing too, and, th- and this would be the only other thing to to really kind of quantify this is any colony. If natural nectar is available and their forage force is focused on that, they will ignore sugar syrup. Hmm, Outside of that, if you're doing a top feeder that is a reservoir that they have to go up into, drink from, and come back down, a lot of times they will ignore that because it's not seen as an incoming source. It's just something that's there. But if Mm -hmm. you do a drip feeder like the inverted jars... That's mm-hmm. different because that's constantly coming down and dripping. So they're constantly going up there and cleaning it up and drinking it. And they will <laughs> utilize or view that as an incoming nectar source. So for the purpose of sometimes stimulating wax uh, building or brood rearing and you want to stimulate an incoming nectar source versus a food store, mm-hmm. then you would use the drip method so that they will they will see that as something being brought in as opposed to there's just a giant lake above us of sugar syrup if and then when we ever need it. Okay. Okay. But, uh, yeah, oh, so oh. that'd be my guess is that maybe there is something out there they're finding that, uh, you know, makes them not necessarily need it just yet. Oh, the mesquites are crazy up here right now. Now, we got rain coming tonight or maybe tomorrow, so that's going to be over with. And white brush is to be brush. But, but, so uh, I finally made it out to the farm. And I was, when I went and picked up my supply delivery of jars and lids the other day, I was sitting out there, Pamela was there, and we were waiting on the truck to come, so we were just sitting there chatting, and everywhere that the eye could see was mesquite trees in full bloom, and some of them were the brand new white tassels, some of them had already kind of yellowed a little bit, but everywhere. And then this weekend, I finally got to make it out to the farm for the first time (laughs) in forever out to the back part of the farm let me mind you um which also on that note really strange the bottom of the creek bed was dry but Mm -hmm. the the bank of the creek bed about 15 foot from where it dips down into the bottom was Mm -hmm. still squishy and soggy and it was just in this weird one little spot which kind of gave me pause because as i started walking down there to test it i was like Mm -hmm. i hadn't even made it yet and i was like oh man and then I looked in front of me and I could see like, you know, the cracked clay. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but I was able to drive through it at a good rate of speed to make sure, you know, I, I had enough force to make mm. it out the other side just in case. But so I got out there and the mesquite, the, uh, the mesquite trees out on the farm are almost looking like they're done with their bloom. Like there was I saw more tassels that have been spent and are, are about to go off than I did new tassels. And so that was a little aggravating. But I was happy to find that all of the colonies, because I was able to go add boxes onto stuff, and that may be like a a Hail Mary, nothing going to happen from it, but I did go add boxes of drawn combs since I could finally get out there, and everybody had nectar. In fact, they had backfilled most all of the brood nests in all of the colonies that I looked at with (laughs) nectar, so they're, they're bringing it in copiously at the moment, and then the tops of of the frames are starting to be capped with that beautiful white fresh capping so uh, Mm -hmm. good news on that front so that's good but yeah the i was a little dumbfounded by the fact that you know a few days earlier and not that far north of where i was going there was mesquite everywhere but then at my place it was just kind of like meh (laughs) all right and it just got crazy up here in the last 
week or so now we've been blooming but now they're full i mean full of blooms now we went over to mason and our place at mason they don't have a bloom on them hmm. and we're supposed to get rain there and that's still dry there but mesquites are supposed to handle you know dry well too but they're supposed to get rain so we'll see i'm thinking yeah, they- about moving moving all my colonies over there and ain't nothing to eat so i'm sitting there oh i'm gonna feed them all well it's yeah the mesquite does a an interesting it wants a lot of rain and then it wants a long hot dry stretch and during that dry stretch is when it will then actually start blooming so um rain early in the season and then blooms will do good there are some seasons where we can actually have two or three sets of blooms that are pretty substantial if the weather patterns fit right so that's always kind of nice. But I'm just happy that there's actually nectar out there and they're oh, doing yeah. really well. Um, yep. I did almost hurt myself because I have that two queen tower system and I really should have taken a picture of this or a video or something. But when I'm out there by myself a lot, I kind of forget to do these things. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but the top, the very bottom box is a deep that has a mm-hmm. queen in it and has an excluder. And mm-hmm. then there's like five or six boxes in between mm-hmm. that are all mm-hmm. mediums for honey supers. And then mm-hmm. there's another queen excluder and then there's another deep on the top. <laughs> now I put another box in the middle of this. And when I did that made the deep box taller than me. But when I went to take it down, I had assumed <laughs> that they had either absconded, killed the queen or she had left and they had filled that deep box with honey because when i went to pick it up i couldn't move it and then (laughs) remember me telling you that we have termite and and wood ant problems out there now oh yeah Yeah. like everywhere if you lay a piece of wood on the ground the next week you go out there and flip it over and it's already got you know gouges in it from the termites and they go running it's not not good at all but so i stepped up onto a pallet that was right beside it so that i could get taller and my Mm -hmm. foot went completely through it (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to pick up this damn box. I about lost my balance, but that would have been bad because then I would have had this, you know, 80 pound super or, uh, yeah, yeah, come down on top of me. But so when I opened it up and looked though, the, the two outer frames were solid capped honey and the tops of all the middle frames were solid capped honey. And then the queen was still there and she still had a brood nest that was comprised of maybe three or four central areas of the three or four Mm -hmm. middle frames. So I went ahead and added the extra box and then tried to hoist that sucker back up there. And now it's even taller. So it was even more of a trick and I couldn't stand on the platform, but yeah, it was, that was a, that was a doozy, but they are, you know, it just, it made me happy to know that at least there is some nectar out there now because I I had no idea what it was going to be like when I went out there and did my last full inspection of everyone, there was only, you know, a comb or two of open liquid and nothing capped. So a lot has changed in the last two to three weeks, which I'm super excited about. And if the nectar yep. flow continues on, they now, the ones on the back part of the, the apiary where the Langstrauss are, they now have extra boxes of comb so that they can go through and, and hopefully keep bringing in that nectar and, and stack it in there. So, um, But in regards to that, I will use that as our transition point as far as getting extra boxes and extra equipment and supplies. So... Um, Jacob pulled a U and he found a, uh, a quote unquote non-commercial beekeeper who is a commercial beekeeper. 
Uh, mm-hmm. a, well, let's, let's say this. They're a non-commercial beekeeper, even though they had 3,000 hives. We'll say they were a migratory wow. beekeeper because they they traveled from California to Florida to Texas and then back up to the northern states where they, they stay. Um, but they wanted to downsize for their own health and well-being from 3,000 to 1,000 colonies. But they're still not a commercial mm-hmm. beekeeper, according to yeah. them. So, right. Uh, and they were selling off a lot of the, the hives and equipment and stuff. So he pulled a U, he went out there and he bought himself a bunch of, uh, of boxes and whatnot and was sending us messages back and forth through the social media chat for the hive jive here and asking some questions, things that he should be on the lookout for, you know, what he should, should and shouldn't, uh, accept and, you know, wanting to know if it was worth it or not. So I kind of talked him through some of that, but for anybody else out there that runs across that opportunity, um, some of those key points that you should always ask is number one, why are you getting rid of them? Number two, what happened to the bees that were in there? So it's it's different if it's a bunch of boxes, like if you're a commercial beekeeper and you've got a thousand hives and you run all the same size box, because a lot of times they don't mix like deeps and mediums, it's all deeps. Um, it's really easy to put those deeps, extra deeps on there for your supers. And then when honey harvest comes, you take them off, extract them and they go into storage. So just because the boxes are empty, don't always mean that the bees died or absconded or anything else. It could have been honey supers. So always check to see what happened to the bees that were inside the boxes. Then you want to check and see what kind of beekeeper were they? What do they do? Because in this case, they told him they don't treat, they've never treated. So there's no treatments or there's no chemicals. There's nothing like that in there. However, mm. they're migratory beekeepers that go to California for almonds and then they truck them all the way back around and then go down to Florida and then come over to Texas and then start the cycle over again. So they absolutely have pesticides and fungicides that have been absorbed into the wax. So the next thing then was if the wax is very light colored, you could attempt to go through and use it. But you need to keep in mind that that wax is going to carry with it everything it's ever encountered. And if the wax is older and darker, just get rid of it. If the frames themselves are old and brittle and falling apart, get rid of those two. Really, the wooden wear of the box is about the only thing that is potentially of value if the other stuff is older and falling apart or dark and nasty. Now, if the frames are in good condition, but the wax is dark, cut the wax out and pop in a new thing of foundation or a new sheet of wax or let them draw foundationless and build new combs so that it's actually fresh and vibrant and doesn't have all these contaminants it's been carrying along. And uh, that's about it. I mean, those are, those are the big points right there, you know. And I would also say, though, that if the frames are nasty and you don't want to take the frames, like even if they're telling you, oh, no, no, it's all, it's all part of the price of the box. If you can make them keep it and dispose of it themselves, that's probably better <laughs> than you having to take it and find a way to dispose of it. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the long and short of if you find one of those scenarios. Well, it, also in your scenario, Ken, um, do they ever do anything for moth control? Because yours, he put yeah, them into storage containers and then they released a chemical agent in there that was a nerve toxin to go mm-hmm. through and, and combat mite or moths, combat mm-hmm. moths. But then whenever, you know, oh, it just needs to air out for a couple of days. You and I both had boxes that set airing oh, out no, for six stung. months and they still smelled. Yeah. And yeah. that's out in the open air after six months. And the yep. bees didn't want to really do much with them. And you have to keep yep. in mind that is a neurotoxin. It's a nerve agent that is actually inside. Now it's absorbed into the wax. So yep. all of those things are questions that you want to ask. And don't ever be shy asking somebody that stuff 
And you know, if they're, if they're cagey and they're jumping around stuff, maybe it's not worth it. If they're very honest and upfront about things and you know, they're not acting like they're, they're trigger shy or anything, then, you know, just take them for their word and go through, but also apply a little logic in there. Well, you've never treated your colonies, but you take them to the almonds every year. So therefore, even though you haven't treated them, they still have contaminants inside of them. You know, things like that are, are also good to have and, and keep in mind. So, so there's just use a little, uh, word there. Use them to start your colonies with, and then, uh, start working them out quick. And, uh, I'm seeing that already in it. And that's what we're doing now. And, uh, I froze them all. I still froze every one of them and still the smell. It was that, that, that nerve agent or toxin or whatever he put in there to keep the malls out. He put them in a 40 foot container and then he'd just throw a bomb in there and shut it down. Now, when he went in there, he had a full suit on with gas mask because he said it's just nerve gas is what it was. And, uh, yeah yeah that's all i can say so yeah that was always a little sketchy to me. out now <laughs> we pretty much got it all worked out now so well that's good and i'm wondering if uh that was probably part of the reason that we lost so many bees last year i don't know so that's where i'll quit <laughs> hey you know like it's uh yeah uh let's see oh, well something else oh yeah yeah go well, ahead we, one more thing, you know, I've always been told to turn your swarm traps to the South, the entrance to the South. Well, all of mine are to the South, but I caught a colony this week. And I'm not sure when I got that colony in the trap. It, I think they've been there a while. I haven't opened them up. I found them this week. Let's put it that way. And, uh, so I'm going to open them up next week and check them and then do what I'm going to do and move them to Mason. But yeah, so uh, you want to know the kicker with that? What's that? There's mm -hmm. two parts right. to this on the, on the facing of the direction, the direction, a lot of times to the bees are irrelevant. They don't care. Yep. And if you think about it, the, the places that they choose to live in a lot of times is the hollow of a tree. And mm -hmm. it's more about the height of the hollow and the size of the opening than it is the direction the hollow faces. Being on the trunk of a tree, it's always in the shade. Always. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing about facing them east or south or southeast is commercial beekeeping. And it's in all the education and literature because that way the sun, no matter what time of year it is, is going to warm the face of the hive and get the bees up and going earlier so they will go out and forage earlier. That's <laughs> the only reason. That's it. In the winter, if you have that. a hive facing north, it's never going to get sunlight and it's always going to be cold and it's going to be a little bit harder on the bees, but it's still mm -hmm. going to be warming the back of the hive. But that's mm -hmm. where that logic comes from. It's okay. it's not about, yeah, it is nothing about like bees prefer south. It's that that way it gets southern exposure and warms the face of the hive so the bees can come out on the porch and do their thing. That's all. Yeah, I was gonna, this bunch was faced to the west and they just happy as they can be in there so yeah yeah that's all i was gonna say now the rest of them we'll always turn them to the south and everybody's moving in so i said well i'm gonna turn this one to the west and see what happens and they moved right in there's another one it's sitting on a bed of an old flatbed truck 
and I got one facing to the, to the West and the others facing to the East. And they moved into the one on the West. I figured the one that was facing to the East or a Southeast would be the one that did move in. Now they moved into the other one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They don't care so much about direction when it comes to, to all of that. Uh, that's a, that is a man-made thing and not a B thing on that part. Okay. okay. So the, I can see that. yeah, the other aspect of that too, is if, even though that is a commercial thing, you know, quote unquote, that's assuming that you've got all the hives kind of out in a line and you see these fields where there's just tons of colonies and they're all facing the same direction. But if the beekeepers are using pallets, like the, when they do to go to almonds and such, um, oh, yeah. a lot of beekeepers don't ever take them off the pallets. And if you think about that on a pallet, every side you have one hive facing a different direction. So you've got one North, one South, one East, one West. Do you need any high, uh, pallets? There's a guy up nope. here. Okay. <laughs> These are the plastic ones. They're not the wooden ones. Well, the plastic would be okay because, well, it's twofold. I say yes and no on that. Yeah, they don't rot. And I'm starting to have, I've always had wood ant problems out at the main mm -hmm. apiary. Now we've got termites. And mm -hmm. so all of my pallets are about completely gone. And I've been slowly transitioning everything over to cinder blocks, which stops the termites, but doesn't stop the wood ants because they just crawl nope, right up nope, the cinder block nope, and then get nope. up underneath the inner cover and stuff. But, um, but the other problem, though, is most of the plastic pallets are black, and I don't want to put my hives on top of a black surface that is just going to superheat in our 110-degree weather. I can see that. Or you can always put a two-before underneath it and lift it up so there. Well, Eric can get underneath it anyway, but they are black, yeah. This yeah, guy's got them for $15 a piece or four before. We've would be like picked up. setting them on asphalt. Yeah, it is. So anyway, I just was going to ask you, but <laughs> that wasn't related to the show, but oh, well, <laughs> now I'm going to get it started on another, on another angle and our cot don't screw up. We don't, we don't need to go into a uh, rolling blackout or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, we, we could air on that one too. One day. <laughs> yeah yeah i kind of think all that's a joke too like the winter storm sure you know nobody yeah. saw that coming nobody knew that it was going to happen nobody expected any of the the downside of that at all the pitfalls that happened and the, the cascade effect nobody saw any of that coming however you have no excuse in texas in the summer you know damn straight that from Dallas South, hot. we have 40 yeah. days of 100 plus degrees every single year. Yep. So you cannot say, we didn't know. We didn't know there was going to be this much. It's the same amount of people. Everybody turns on their AC. They all crank it up because it's hot as Hades out here. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden now to be like, oh, we need you to conserve and we need you to cut back. And if you don't, we're going to have to do rolling blackouts because we didn't see this coming. Bullshit. <laughs> like yeah. okay. it's summer in Texas. It happens every year. Come on, guys. Yep. It does. <laughs> oh, mesquites are starting to bloom up here. Uh, really? Everything else is gone, but our mesquites are starting to bloom. So I'm well, that's putting hope. New, uh, new mediums on some more. Yeah, Just, that's, that's uh, hope. I hope that ours down here, it's odd that the ones that are north of Austin bloom before mm -hmm. the ones that are south of Austin. I would have thought that would be the other way around. The southern ones would bloom first because it's and warmer. Bee brush uh, bloom. I mean, it turned white. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I hope it does good. 
we need some nectar. I'm out. I'm out of honey. I actually had somebody just order the last four jars that I had. Um, and it's, uh, it's going to be highly, highly mesquite mixed. Um, cause it was the, the bottom of a barrel kind of thing. So yeah, uh, until August, I have no more honey. It's all gone. And that I'm lady with a peach uh, stand sold me out, man. <laughs> oh, hey, I got a guy that, uh, has a very large, uh, restaurant chains talking to me back to, I had him on the show here a few days ago. And, uh, he found out that I got bees and got honey. I says, well, I know a guy that has a lot of bees and, uh, has a lot of honey. So well, I need to contact him because there's a shortage of honey right now. And uh, that, uh, he says, i got all these restaurants and I like to, yeah, that's all else will stop. So I'll, I'll tell him, uh, don't know where any, yeah. bee, any honey is until after September. Yeah. Well, at least into August at the very earliest, yeah. because the yeah. like, uh, Pamela still has some Charlie's completely sold out. I'm completely sold out. I reached out to another individual. that was completely sold out. I think Tara still has some, um, but it's, it's getting slim like it, because it, you know, we haven't had the season that we normally would have. So everybody's basically working on the backlog from last year, which was a, a plus that we had one because there wasn't as many, you know, places open that we would normally distribute to. But now, uh, all it took up. for me was one peach stand and she was ordering six to 12 cases a week. And that was that about a month of that. And it's all gone. This is uh seven large restaurants. And all. Well, I know we, I... we talked about it before I told you, I said, yeah. I have enough trouble trying to keep my one restaurant happy when they're ordering at their normal capacity. Yeah. This is seven large ones. So that's where I'll quit. I won't tell you on the air. I'll tell you off, off there. <laughs> I think we've already talked about it. It's all good though. Yeah, so probably have. Anyhow, well, we'll uh, we'll we'll finish uh, the dirty laundry here. We'll throw it in the wash machine and clean it all up, so it'll be nice and pretty and uh, smell good, and y'all won't have to listen to it anymore. So, <laughs> so there you go. That you know, just uh, some food for thought for this week. Uh, a lot of various different topics and everything. But speaking of food, I believe yes. it is that time again. I have got a recipe for honey pie now i made it i took it out let was letting it cool max walked in and my brother walked in and uh some guys that was with him i didn't even know them they were friends of max's they walked in oh you got a pie yeah cut you cut you a piece and before i could get a picture of it or a piece of it it was all gone that's all I know. Oh, this is good. What is it? I said, well, it's a honey pie. Oh, this is good. Can we have the recipe? And I gave them all the recipes. So maybe I'll get a picture of the wife's, the, their honey pie. So hell, I don't know. I'll get it one. I'll get one though. I'll make another one and send you pictures. It's time to see what sticky situations Ken can get himself into while combining that golden honey goodness into his sweet and savory creations. Welcome to Ken's Cooking Corner. Okay, first thing I want you to do is turn, set the oven to 350 degrees. And that's, you know, just presetting the oven, ready to, oh, preset the oven, let it warm up. Now, the recipe I have is a hundred and something years old out of one of my cookbooks from my mama. 
and it's it had the pie crust recipe there how to make the pie crust and then how to put beans in it and poke holes all in it and then brown the pie crust uh you know me being lazy i went and bought frozen pie crust browned them and then took them out let them cool then this is the filling recipe go get your frozen pie crust by the way and then brown it and then here's the filling take three quarters a cup plus two tablespoons of honey put it in a pan warm it you don't want to get it bubbling you just want to warm it then add three tablespoons of butter you can use salted butter i used unsalted butter but uh, either way now what you want to do okay i'm going to give you the recipe then yeah then i'll tell you how to fix it three tablespoons of unsalted butter four large eggs one teaspoon of pure vanilla extract and the reason i said that is because that's what i make pure vanilla extract half a teaspoon now you can do a uh, this recipe said fresh grated nutmeg i'm sitting there nah i ain't gonna do that i don't have the the nut so i just took mccormick's nutmeg and used that just you know the dried stuff in the in in the pantry a quarter teaspoon of kosher salt now you warm your honey in a saucepan and then stir in your butter into the honey just take your four tablespoons or three tablespoons of butter put it in there and let it melt now while you're letting that butter melt whisk together your eggs your four large eggs your now this is where you use that quarter teaspoon of salt a quarter teaspoon of salt and the vanilla and the nutmeg whisk that together pour that into the warm honey and butter whisk that together now here it says chill it i didn't chill it i just poured the warm mixture into the brown pie shell and put it in the oven at 350 degrees i cooked it for about an hour maybe just a hair less when it goes firm and hard i took it out so but it was uh say 50 minutes 50 to 55 minutes took it out was letting it cool off brother son friends walked in i says they said oh that's pie what is it uh, i says it's a honey pie oh can we try some yeah i want to get y'all a picture of y'all eating it so i found some whipped cream in the can ready whip set that out they you know cut the pie sprayed it with ready whip and out there eating it oh this is so good this is delicious this is wonderful so i'm sitting there watching them and i said oh damn where's my piece and they had to eat the whole damn pie <laughs> but it was good they said happy, it was good happy I don't birthday know. I to you you made a pie and didn't even get any <laughs> yeah didn't get a piece of it but it was uh, they said it was delicious uh also there was a salted uh honey recipe and as I got to making this, I says, you know, this would be easy to make a, a buttermilk chess instead of using sugar, you use honey. Or it's so easy to use honey instead of sugar. But anytime you use honey, instead of a cup, use about two thirds of a cup. 
honey's much sweeter than sugar. Try it. I don't know. It's, it was. I'm going to make another one next week, and I'll send pictures and 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 all of that. But it was the prettiest, firm uh, filling after it cooked. Uh, it was good. No, they said. I don't know. They I said. Can't tell you if it was good. They said. Oh. Yeah. Oh, by the way, in the recipe it says wildflower honey. I was in there. Well, they even thought about that a hundred years ago. Instead of just using honey, uh, wildflower honey. I'm sitting there. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, in, in general, that is kind of the most common. Um, if you're not in an area where there is a prolific monoculture or monocrop of something, then wildflower is a mix of whatever's in the environment. So that works, especially if they were I'm, in Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder what would happen. Have you ever had a molasses pie? No. Basically the same thing I just gave you, the recipe. But you use molasses instead of honey. I wonder what would happen if you used buckwheat honey in it instead of the wildflower honey. Would it taste like a molasses? There, somebody give make that and try and, and tell us what it tastes like. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't oh, know yeah. that I uh, that I really like the concept of a litter box pie, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, but the the winter wildflower honey, which is can be just as yeah. dark and bitter and molasses like, yeah. but doesn't have that weird ammonia taste to it. Um, that might not be so bad to try. Or avocado honey, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, the avocado honey yep. is dark yep. and is bitter and mm -hmm. does not have some of those. Yeah, that actually avocado honey mm -hmm. would be great. Um, yep. I good. am going to make muscadine honey jelly. That'd be good. Why don't you just make wine? Because I don't want to. <laughs> but there's you could uh, use honey and muscadine grapes and make a muscadine mead. honey mead. Yeah, you could make mead. It'd be wine. That's true. I, I only picked, I don't know, maybe three to five pounds of grapes uh, mm -hmm. before I before mm -hmm. I was tired and over it. <laughs> but there's a, there's several of the, the wild muscadine vines out there at the apiary. And every season, you know, I see them come into, into fruition. I don't I actually know. They don't bloom. Grapes don't bloom. So um, I see the fruit emerge, and then I see it ripen, and... and uh, I've collected some in the past, but then I ended up not getting anything done with it in time. And so this mm -hmm. year I'm like, nope, I had I had one of those giant bags, actually, one of your giant Ziploc bags, because mm -hmm. I had taken those frames out there that had the wax in them. And then after I emptied mm -hmm. out the frames, I was like, hey, I can use this bag as a storage. And so I went through and loaded one of them up with as many grapes as I could reach on, on one side of the barbed wire fence, basically, <laughs> and uh, up in one of the trees. And then... I was, by that point, though, I had been out there for hours that day, and I needed to. I was kind of done with the heat and everything, and it was ready to get back home anyway. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to go through and make me some. I'll do probably uh, depending on how much liquid ends up coming out of it when it's all said and done. I'll do a batch of the honey version and a batch of the regular version just to see, because um, I've never done a honey jelly before. But I looked it up, and I was like, oh yeah, you could totally do that. So I thought I'd give it a yeah. try. So like a wiener. There you go. So there we've got some uh, some sweet things in the works there and oh, yeah. another another recipe for everybody. So we will go ahead and wrap this main segment episode up for the week. And uh, next week is going to be the first week of July, I think. Yes, it is. 
Yeah, listening wise, anyway, it'll be the first week of July. It'll be uh, so we'll be starting off some some fun things for everybody that month. Uh, we've got a couple of interviews lined up. If they pan out, that'll be really awesome. And we've got the natural beekeeping segment will be coming up. And uh, teaser, I think that Miss Natalie will have a special guest joining her on uh, that week's episode for the natural beekeeping segment. So definitely look forward to that as well. And until then, everybody, be good. Y'all be safe, be healthy, and uh, everything. And tell Natalie, I'm starting to do some of the stuff that she's talking about. I'm using the queens out of the nicer hives. And, well, Max has been listening to it. So I said, okay, we're we're starting to mess with We're starting to do some of the natural beekeeping. So eh, it's going to be fun, but they're still mean. (laughs) y'all be safe be healthy and tell natalie i said hello (laughs) hi natalie hi (laughs) natalie bye Bye, Bye. everybody y'all be good it's time for our guys to buzz off but don't fret the hive jive journey continues with new episodes mondays every month until then you can follow along with the guys on facebook and instagram at the hive jive Thanks for listening and be safe out there.